السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والعاقبة للمتقين والعدوان إلا على الظالمين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله النبي مصطفى الأمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على عبدك ورسولك محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Welcome to our second lesson of QP for this year, year 6 and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our special uh, which was on the life and the tafsir of Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqidi rahimahullah ta'ala bi rahmatihi al-wasi'ah but before I begin uh, alhamdulillah we have the results the exam results in of the people who took their uh, took the exam for year 5 QP and I just want to say jazakallah khair for everyone who put in the time and effort uh, to actually revise attend the revision sessions and and take the exam I know it's not always easy uh, especially when there's not necessarily something that you gain from it like there's no um, qualification or it's not something which is a tangible uh, result that you, you that you get or a tangible um, benefit that you gain but inshallah ta'ala you benefit in terms of revising over the book of Allah Azza and the tafsir of the Quran and that in itself is something which is which is good um, and it's always uh, nice to see I mean I get like a breakdown of the results um, and the first thing like or one of the first things that I like to look at is just subhanAllah like the the, the different countries that our students are from uh, and I'm, I know that this isn't a comprehensive um, list because not everyone who attends QP will necessarily take the exam but I think it's nice just to see uh, that we have because obviously when we do the class like this through the portal I don't necessarily know uh, who's there or who's there it's not like Zoom where I can see or interact with you in that way uh, or even know where you're from but we have like alhamdulillah a number of students from the US obviously the UK, uh, Qatar, Canada, Singapore, Pakistan, Malaysia, Thailand, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia um, you know, just to name a few uh, Canada if I didn't mention that Philippines, Ghana, uh, the UAE so it's nice to see subhanAllah like how Allah Azza wa brings people together uh, and brings um, you know the whole uh, people from across the world uh, and the only thing that brings us together especially in these classes is is the love of the Quran and tafsir and wanting to understand the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know the numerous hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that speak about the blessings and the virtues of of reading the Quran and studying the Quran and how much the companions used to love the book of Allah Azza wa and how much effort that they would put into and the scholars of the Salaf, how much time and effort they uh, they uh, they spent in in serving the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is um, you know it's something that inshallah ta'ala we ask Allah Azza wa that he makes it sincere for his sake that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it heavy on our scale of good deeds, that he leaves it, leaves it as a legacy for all of us. Because as you know, QP isn't just about the classes. It's about the audio that comes from it. It's about the transcribed notes and the snapshots and the summaries that are done. It's about the team that works behind the scenes uh, that do, mashallah, an amazing job from the transcribing team down to um, the sister uh, Hasiya who's in charge of the uh, setting up the exam and the revision and the quizzes on the Telegram group all of the stuff that really they do with very little if any input from myself and others they've taken their initiative and they've taken control of it and ownership of it and not only that they do it with ihsan with excellence i don't know no one needs to chase them up no one needs to 
needs to say anything to them. MashaAllah, they're, they're, they're there and they're diligent and they're on point uh, each and every single day and every week. So we ask Allah Azza wa Jalla that He also blesses them and rewards them greatly for their efforts that we all benefit from. And this is something which you will always find uh, if you read the biographies of the scholars of Islam. It's their students that Allah Azza wa Jalla blessed those scholars with, uh, that their students are the ones who carried on that knowledge. The Imam only sits and teaches, or the Shaykh only sits and teaches. But Allah Azza wa Jalla blesses people through the efforts, and Allah Azza wa Jalla blesses those people, those students, because they then become scholars in their own right and they become people uh, that the knowledge is taken from through them um, and through their, their work. And so I may just be giving the lesson, but the, and Allah knows best, there are maybe more people that benefit from the summaries and the snapshots and the quizzes than they do from the actual lesson. The lesson's long and it's sometimes maybe uh, too much for people to listen to or, or, to, or to watch the whole, every time. But people may be going and, and, and benefiting from different ways uh, from different resources that are out there that come from a program like this. And so it's something which, uh, you know, it makes me extremely happy when I see this and it gives me a great deal of hope in the Ummah, even in our time when people aren't necessarily geared towards seeking knowledge and especially like uh, knowledge of narrations and classical works and so on. Uh, and we live in a time also, obviously, as we know, that we're surrounded by many fitan and many trials and many difficulties. That Allah Azza wa Jal blesses this Ummah with people that want to learn and want to study the Book of Allah and want to go back to authentic and classical knowledge and traditional knowledge and they want to know what did the companions say and what was the position of the Tabi'een and what did the great Imams of Tafsir say. And so the fact that we have, even if it's just a few people in every single country or a number of these countries that we've mentioned and others, that is inshallah ta'ala a sign for good. And maybe Allah Azza wa Jalla will make each and every single one of us in our own community, in our own places. Allah Azza wa Jalla maybe will bless our efforts and make us a, a source for good. So we had a number of people take the exams. Um, and obviously as, as uh, usual, I, I won't go through the whole list, but just maybe the first or the top five that we had. Uh, the highest exam score that we had was 87 out of 100. MashaAllah, Tabarakallah. Um, and that was uh, Suad Zaman from the US. In second place was Hana Akhtar, also from the US. In third place was Widad. MashaAllah, I think Widad's always up there every year. Third place. In fourth place was Anissa from the UK. And in fifth place was Sahel Ahmed, also from the UK. Uh, so may Allah Azza wa reward you all. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all. And may Allah Azza wa increase you all in knowledge. Um, so... That's the exam. Um, but inshallah ta'ala, what we're going to do today is continue with the special that we started with last week. So last week we covered the biography of uh, a famous scholar from the scholars of Tafsir, Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shanqiti rahimahullah ta'ala. And we spoke about his his origin and his birth and his studies and his seeking knowledge and his travels to uh, Saudi Arabia and his setting there and, and, and what have you. And we kind of summarized his life, inshallah ta'ala. Today what we want to do... Um, briefly because again like a topic like this is something which we can uh, you know expand upon like when we speak about the methodology of an author in tafsir or we speak about a tafsir and just taking out the different principles and benefits is something which can like i could do this maybe three four lessons just on this tafsir um but obviously that's not the point here right it's not like our goal necessarily to go into that level of depth but i just want you to understand i want our students to appreciate these works because they hear their names 
being mentioned very often, but also for you just to understand, like to even to have a snapshot or just an overall over overarching view of what the tafsir is, what it focuses on, uh, the way or the different things, you know, just by example, you know, just the way that the author approaches the tafsir of the Quran. I think that is something which, inshallah, Taala will be uh, will be beneficial for you. So the tafsir that we have today is the tafsir Adwa'ul Bayan. So Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shawqiti, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, who is the teacher of our teachers, he wrote a number of books, as we mentioned. But one of the things that he was known for, and as we said, one of the reasons why he wanted to settle in Medina when he was given the opportunity, is he said that I don't think that there is anything more noble that I can achieve in my lifetime than making the tafsir of the Qur'an in the masjid of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so that's something which he dedicated his life to. And as we said last week, uh, he finished it once, the tafsir of the Qur'an, and then he started a second time and he passed away without finishing it. Or some versions of the story go, some narrations say that he finished it twice and it was the third time that he passed away. And considering that the Sheikh didn't live a very long time ago, I don't necessarily know why we have these two different, it's not like you know, he lived a thousand years ago and we're not quite sure. Uh, I'm sure someone would know, but maybe those people that did know have also passed away and no one really thought to ask them. But you'll find in his biography this and that. You'll find both versions. Um, and to be honest, I'm not quite sure why or which one of them is, is more true. But either way, he finished it once at least. And then he, at the same time, started to author his book, the Tafsir. And this is Tafsir Adwa'ul Bayan. And he spent a great deal of time and effort. His One of his sons says that his father, the Sheikh, when he was authoring this Tafsir, it would take so much time and concentration from him that sometimes people would come in guests, and I think I mentioned this last week, sometimes guests would come in or people would come and visit and he wouldn't even realize what's going on around him because of how focused he was on this tafsir. And that's because as we know, anyone that makes tafsir of the Quran, it's a, it's a, a very heavy responsibility because you're speaking about Allah Azza wa and the words of Allah and the speech of Allah and what that means. And so you have to be very sure when you make the tafsir of Allah Azza wa that you're not doing anything that is incorrect to the to the best of your human ability and that is why people who make the tafsir according to their uh, desires or according to the ideology that they want to support or the the theology that they want to back up or the group that they belong to or the sect that they associate themselves with that's extremely problematic because sooner or later you're going to err because you're going to give preference to that ideology or that thought or whatever it may be over what the actual quran is saying or what the scholars of the set have said and so it requires a great deal of reading and understanding and, 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 and anyone that reads a tafsir like one of these major works of tafsir like the tafsir that we have before us today uh, you'll be amazed you'll, you'll, it'll show you the depth of that person's knowledge why? because when a person makes tafsir it's not just one science that they have to be an expert in if they're, if they're really going to do tafsir justice but they have to be exp- an expert in multiple sciences Someone that makes tafsir of the Qur'an has to know Qur'an and the qira'at and, and the principles of tafsir. They have to know hadith. They have to know the, the, the statements and the narrations of the companions and the tabi'een. They have to know Arabic language and grammar. They have to know fiqh and the rulings of fiqh. They have to know balagha, eloquence. They have to know so many different things because why every seerah, everything comes back to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when you read a book like tafsir Adwa'ul Bayan, this book Adwa'ul Bayan, the tafsir, it's amazing because it shows you the depth of the author in terms of his knowledge. Rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatihi al-wasi'ah. So this tafsir, uh, it's called Adwa'ul Bayan fi idahin Qur'an bil Qur'an. Adwa' 
is the plural of the word dhaw, which means lights or illumination. Al-bayan is to make something clear, to clarify something. fi idah in explaining the Qur'an with the Qur'an. And it's often referred to as adwa al-bayan. Rather than the full name, often you'll hear scholars just referring to it as adwa al-bayan. Or the tafsir of Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shinqidi, rahimahullahu ta'ala. Um, as we mentioned before in our uh, QP lessons, when we uh, just mentioned some of the statements of, 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 of this tafsir, uh, because, uh, and, and it will become clear very shortly why we mentioned this, uh, and uh, we've mentioned this a number of times. But as we've said before, the author, ta'ala, when he came to his written tafsir, he passed away before he could complete it. And it is said that he went up to Surah Al-Mujadila, or Mujadala, which is the first surah of the 28th juz of the Qur'an, and that is when he passed away, rahimahullah ta'ala. So he had approximately three juz of the Qur'an left before he passed away. And it was then his uh, one of his major, most senior students, Sheikh Atiyah, Muhammad Salim, rahimahullah, was a scholar from Egypt in his own right, also lived in Medina, also taught in the Islamic University of Medina and so on. He was one of the senior students of the Sheikh. He's the one who actually completed the tafsir based upon his lessons with him and his studying with him and having attended his tafsir, his, his, his spoken tafsir, his taught tafsir in the haram and so on, he finished the book. Uh, and that's why <clears throat> we mention it because when we do tafsir, obviously because we're starting from Surah Nas, the three Jews that we're first going to be covering are the three Jews that Shaykh Atiyah, he also passed away, the three Jews that he completed rather than the actual work that the Shaykh was able to write himself before his death. And that's not uncommon, by the way, in Islamic history. Allah Azza gives certain scholars the ability to write these major books and to finish them. You know, like for example, Ibn Hajar wrote his Fathul Bari, and other scholars, Ibn Qudam wrote his Al Mughni, and other scholars wrote major works that are volumes and volumes and volumes, and Allah gave them the longevity to be able to do that. And other scholars weren't able to write so much, and they passed away relatively young, like Al Imam al Nawawi, for example. And the author wasn't necessarily young, he was in his 70s, but he just wasn't able to complete his tafsir because of his many other uh, other things that busied him as well. The author, Ta'ala, mentions the reason why he wrote this tafsir. And it's primarily, um, primarily two reasons. The first reason, he says, is because I wanted to focus on what the scholars all agree is the greatest way of making tafsir, and that is making tafsir of the Quran with the Quran. So any book that you will go to of the of the sciences of tafsir and the principles of tafsir will say to you that there's a number of ways that you can make tafsir. You make tafsir of the Quran with the Quran, tafsir of the Quran with the Sunnah, tafsir of the Quran with the statements of the companions of the Tabi'een, tafsir of the Quran with the Arabic language, and so on and so forth. But they all agree that the best way to make tafsir of the speech of Allah is by using the speech of Allah. Because the Qur'an explains the Qur'an in many, many places. Gives you extra detailed information and so on in other places throughout the Qur'an. He says that because this is something which is agreed upon, that's why I wanted to focus on a tafsir that focuses on this. And just, you know, just, just quickly here. In order for you to be able to do this, you must be very well versed and familiar with the book of Allah Azza wa Jal. Now many of us have read the Qur'an, alhamdulillah, some of us have memorized the Qur'an. I'm sure many of us have finished the Qur'an in terms of its reading multiple times, maybe translations, maybe even the tafsir for those of you that attended my Jalalain, or, you know, inshallah, we're finishing mostly now tafsir al-Sa'di as well. We're nearly towards the end. Inshallah, we'll finish that next Ramadan. So you've done tafsir as well. 
But if I was to ask you, this is the verse in the Quran that Allah speaks about something, what, what else does the Quran say about that one issue? Because as we know, that one subject may be dispersed throughout the Quran in many different places. Bring it all together for me. It would require you a great deal of time and effort to be able to do that. And even then, the first thing you'd have to do is actually find out where those places are. You may not even realize, you may not even know. How would you even do that? Are you going to do a Google search? I mean, remember, this is these books are being written before things like Google exist, existed and these types of online search engines where you can just put in a keyword and it gives you all of these results. So you can imagine how well and how familiar someone must be with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why it was um, not uncommon that the scholars of tafsir and the scholars of Quran were people who were constantly reading and revising the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like throughout the day, they were just reading and reading and reading and reading. And that's why it's reported, for example, that Imam Shafi'i would finish the Quran uh, every day. Like some of the narrations say, every day he would finish the Quran. Can you imagine every day finishing the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then in the month of Ramadan, twice, once during the day and once during the night. And that's reported from a number of, uh, from a number of, of, of scholars. You know, some of the Salaf used to read the Quran in a single rak'ah, the whole Quran in night prayer in a single rak'ah. That's reported from Uthman, radiyallahu an Tamim al-Dari, radiyallahu an Abdullah ibn Zubair, radiyallahu anhuma. Numerous of the, of, of the Salaf, numerous scholars of the Salaf, to the extent that Imam al-Nawawi, in his book on the Quran, al-Tibyan, he said, the number of scholars who finish the Quran in a single rak'ah in salah, from cover to cover, they finish the whole Quran in a single rak'ah, are so many that they cannot be enumerated. Too many to be counted. Because if you go through the, their biographies, even if it's just once in their lifetime, it's reported that they did something like this. And that's obviously because it's Ramadan or something and they want to you know, attain that extra virtue and so on. The point here being is that this is uh, something which they did. They were extremely familiar with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the author, this is one thing that he wanted to focus on. The second thing that he wanted to focus on is the uh, positions of fiqh, the masail of fiqh, the ahkam al-fiqhiyyah, the different issues and rulings that can be derived from the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the positions that the scholars had concerning those issues of fiqh and the evidences and then trying to determine which of those positions is stronger in terms of evidence. These are the two main reasons that he wanted uh, to mention and also because he wanted you know, as a third additional reason uh, that you can understand is because it's something which he wanted people to become more familiar with. The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He wanted to, in his time, in his generation, wanted to motivate people to come back to the book of Allah azza wa jalla and study the Quran and its tafsir and so on. And we can understand why, because the Shaykh, you know, didn't live that long ago. He died like maybe 50, 60 odd years ago. So it's not such a long time ago. And as we know in our time now, really studying tafsir, is something which is aziz, it is something which is rare and, and difficult and people find it uh, too much too much of a burden, too much of a of an undertaking. And so this is something which he also wanted to focus on, Rahimallah Ta'ala. And as I don't know if anyone got the ability to do this, I don't know if someone can write in the chat if they were able to do this uh, last week when they were able to if they were able to listen to the uh, to the author Rahimallah Ta'ala in some of his uh, lessons in tafsir. I think uh, someone said to me they it was put up on on one of the chats. Um, let me just see if I can bring it. I don't know if I can play this on my phone and it will be it will pick up. Um, but uh, I just want you to listen to a part of his tafsir. Um, so this is, for example, his his tafsir about the story of of Salih alayhi salatu wasalam. I don't know if this will pick up. 
So I won't make that too long because I know like a lot of us don't speak Arabic. I hope that was clear, at least you could hear it. But his style of tafsir is very nice. Because remember he's doing this in the haram. And it's not just students of knowledge and, 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 and scholars that are sitting with him. It's people that are making hajj and umrah and just the general people in Medina and so on. Everyone's sitting with him. So he had a way of giving a great deal of knowledge but in a very simple way. And that's something which Allah Azza blessed him with. He had a nice manner of speaking. And he was able to bring all of these different things together. But at the same time, his tafsir is also very uh, deep in terms of its meanings and the benefits and so on. Rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatul rahmatullahi if you If you do get a chance uh, to listen to that, then inshallah I, w- I would advise even just to listen to it and to hear a couple of minutes of it uh, is nice. And we have a number of the recordings. They're amazing recordings in terms of quality, obviously, because of the time era when it was, uh, the era in which it was recorded. But still, it's, 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 uh, it's good that we have some of them anyway. Um, so what is the manhaj or the methodology of Sheikh Muhammad Al-Amin al in his tafsir? Um, the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he mentions in his own tafsir, in his, uh, in his um, introduction, what he wanted to abide by in terms of his methodology. So as we said, the first thing that he wanted to do was make tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an. And one of the things that he did, or he mentions by way of doing that, is that he would refer to in the Qur'an all of the qira'at, the seven qira'at. Even though there are ten that are mutawatir, but he said, uh, even though he accepts that the other three are also mutawatir, but he said that I will stick to the seven. Uh, the seven being... The, the seven ones that we know of Nafi' and Ibn Kathir and Asim and Hamza and so on these seven Qira'at obviously each Qari as we've mentioned before has two students and we've already done a special on the Qira'at but these seven major Qur'an and their students their, their narrations these are the ones that he was going to focus on in terms of of his tafsir um, the author Ta'ala, what he does is he uh, and by the way just, just as, as a clarification point when he says that he's going to focus on the tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an, that doesn't mean that he's not going to refer to the sunnah. Like there's no hadith being mentioned. Doesn't mean that he's not going to take the positions of the scholars or the tabi'een or the companions. Doesn't mean that he's not going to use Arabic poetry or language or whatever else. That's not the meaning of tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an, by the way. His book is full of narrations, full of a hadith, full of the statements of the companions in the salaf, full of all of these discussions, like you would have in most books of tafsir. But what he wanted to do was focus primarily on tafsir of the Qur'an with the Qur'an first and foremost. But even in doing that, you have to understand, in order to be able to understand that, you need to bring in sirah, you need to bring in hadith, you need to bring in the statements of, of the scholars and the companions and so on. And so this doesn't mean, by the way, when he says tafsir of the Qur'an by the Qur'an, that he's not going to refer to anything else. No, it just means that this is the primary focus. And that's why you will find in this tafsir that sometimes he doesn't mention, like it's not a tafsir of every verse of the Qur'an. Because sometimes he will miss a few verses and go on to a verse in which there is something that is being explained elsewhere in the Qur'an. That's what he means by his tafsir of the Qur'an, by the Qur'an. Doesn't mean that he's not going to refer to the sunnah or any of the other principles of tafsir that are well known and established. And so that's an important point to remember because otherwise sometimes people think, uh, you know, people think that it's, no, it's just Qur'an with Qur'an and nothing else.
You can't understand the Quran fully and completely without referring to the Sunnah, without referring to the statements of the companions and the Tabi'een. And so someone who thinks that that's what that means has greatly understood or misunderstood rather uh, the, the position of the scholars and exactly what it is that they're trying to do. So what he wants to do, as he says, is he wants to make tafsir of the Quran with the Quran. That's his major goal. So when Allah speaks about something, other verses give you more detail. He's going to bring those verses in and we'll give a couple of examples so that you can see now what it is that's being referred to, what Allah is referring to. At the same time, he's also going to mention the sunnah. He mentions numerous hadith of the Prophet in many of these verses just to give that context of what the Prophet said because after Allah and the Quran, there is no one who understood the book of Allah. No one who is more knowledgeable of its of the speech of Allah than our Prophet And then likewise, with the position of the companions and the tabi'een, the well-known way of, of making tafsir of the scholars. And as we mentioned last week when uh, in his biography, uh, the Shaykh used to say about himself that there's not a single verse of the Quran except that I've stopped and focused on it and learnt the position of the Salaf. Like what we're doing in QP, alhamdulillah. We stop at every verse. Okay, what did the companion say? What did the tabi'een say? He did this for every verse of the Quran, he said. And so he was well, uh, well, uh, well versed in the position of the Salaf when he came to the tafsir of the Quran. As we said, he was going to focus on the Qiraat. And as we said, he also even mentioned the Shad Qiraat, the Qiraat that we don't, aren't read, but that are narrated. Because sometimes you can take certain rulings and benefits from them as well. They're like tafsir. Because if one of the companions read it in a certain way, like for example, the verse, uh, in, in the statements or in the, in, the, in the narrations of Aisha and Hafsa radiallahu anhum the two mothers of the believers that they would say in the recitation of the verse Hafidhu ala salawati wa salati wusta preserve your prayers and preserve the middle prayer they would say salat al-asr it is the asr prayer that there is not a reading of the verse it's not a not, you can't read the verse like that in the, in the Quran however that's how they would read it's one of the ways that they would read one of their qiraas and so that, even though it is shad, we can't read like that, but we can benefit from that. What is it? At the very least, it is tafsir. At the very least, that gives you, because the scholars differed, as we know in that verse, what, what prayer is the middle prayer? And all of this, some said duhar, some said fajr, some said, and so you have numerous positions. But we have this reading now of two of the mothers of the believers, radiallahu anhuma, and we can say, okay, therefore, that's like a good position of tafsir. We know that this was a position that the companions were upon or a good number of the companions were upon uh, in terms of their reading of this verse. So he also uses that as well. And then he also uses a great deal of the Arabic language. As we said last week, the uh, Shaykh Rahimullah Ta'ala was well-versed in Arabic poetry and Arabic literature and Arabic eloquence. And anyone that's read any of his books will know how often he refers to Arabic poetry to say that this is what this word means in the Arabic language and this is how the Arabs use this word in this context. And he does that very often also in his tafsir, which can make the reading of his tafsir sometimes difficult. Like his book that we mentioned last week, Taf'i Hamd al-Tirab, where he speaks about verses that apparently seem to have some type of, 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 of difficulty. Like how do you reconcile these verses that seem to speak about the same thing but in two different ways? How do we understand them? Often in that book that he wrote, he often mentions poetry. And so if you're not very into poetry or you don't really understand Arabic poetry, because some of that poetry can be quite uh, deep and, and in the language can have many, like it's not even used, the word isn't even used in that way very often except in, in poetic phrase. 
then it's not the easiest book to, or not the easiest thing to follow either. So what I wanted to do is just give examples of how the author Ta'ala makes his tafsir by mentioning some of these examples based upon, uh, based upon uh, you know, some of the things that we mentioned. So, one of the things that the author Ta'ala does is he says, he uses the, the, the actual verse to make tafsir and to understand. Uh, what, what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to. So for example, uh, let's give you an example here in Surah Al-Baqarah verse 228, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the women who are being divorced and the waiting period that they have to wait in divorce. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, Those women who have been divorced must wait for three, and then Allah Azza wa Jal uses the word qur, or qar. This word, which is the, 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 the plural of it, the scholars of, of fiqh differ greatly. They differ into two major positions. What is it referring to? Does it refer to the menstrual cycle? Because we know that's what the waiting period refers to, right? Three, three uh, cycles. But what they differ is the word qarat, does it refer to the onset of the cycle? Or does it refer to the onset of the period after the cycle, meaning the period of cleanliness? Which one is it referring to? So when the third one starts, is that it now the iddah is over? Or is it when it finishes that the iddah is over? This is what they differ over greatly. The author ta'ala in his position on this, he says, and, 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 and this, is, this shows you his, his, um, his, uh, his level of, of understanding of the Arabic language and so on. He says that it's the position of cleanliness. That's the position that is the strongest. Not refers to the onset of menses, but rather after the menses when the period of cleanliness begins. He says, why? He says, because in the Arabic language or in the verse, Allah says, thalathata quru. Thalathata quru. And the word thalatha has the ta at the end, so it's the feminine. Because you can say thalath and thalatha. Thalath is the masculine form, thalatha being the feminine form. He says, Allah uses the feminine form, thalathata quru. He says, the Arabs would only use the feminine form to refer to the period of cleanliness, not to the period of 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 the menses because the arabs say thalathatu athar but when it comes to hayd they say thalathu haydat so he uses the arabic language and the way that the arabs speak to give you an understanding of what the verse is and he's just kind of looking at the same verse he's looking at what the verse says as opposed to you know going out and looking at what the position of the scholars are and because as we said there's a great difference of opinion over this this is an example of how the author Ta'ala makes tafsir he looks and he studies deeply the verse and what Allah Azza wa is actually trying to say, like what's actually in front of you and what's there, because he's, 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 as all the scholars of the Salaf are, they don't think that the Quran's all metaphorical when Allah's speaking about his names and attributes and so on, that it's all metaphors. No, he's literally, what, Allah, what it's literal. What, what is Allah saying? And unless there's something to take the context out of it being literal, then we're going to take the Quran literally. And so this is an example of his of, of, of one of the ways that he makes tafsir. Another example of this would be where he's making tafsir of a verse with another verse. The statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which Allah Azza wa Jal says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, right? Surah Fatiha. Just to give you an, a nice, easy example. Allah Azza wa Jal, uh, or the author Muhammad Ta'ala says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen means all praise is due to Allah, the Lord of the Alameen. What is the Alameen? The author says, Allah Azza wa Jalla didn't mention the meaning of Alameen here. But if we look elsewhere in the Quran, in Surah Al-Shu'ara, verses 23 and 24, when Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions to us the story of Musa and Pharaoh, 
one of the things that Pharaoh asks Musa, قَالَ فِرْعَوْنَ وَمَا رَبُّ الْعَالَمِينَ He asks Musa, Pharaoh says, what is this Lord of all the worlds? What is this Lord of Alameen that you're going on about? What does that refer to? And Musa السلام, a prophet and messenger of Allah, and the prophets and messengers of Allah are most knowledgeable about Allah Azza wa Jal. He responds and he says, قَالَ رَبُّ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth and everything in between. And so that's where we get the meaning of the Lord of everything. Al-Alameen refers to everything besides Allah Azza wa Jal. Because he's saying he's the Lord of everything. He created the heavens, the earth, everything in existence belongs to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Allah Azza wa Jal explains the meaning of the word Alameen elsewhere. And this is what I mean, to have that depth of, of, of concentration, of awareness. Because I think most of us have read these verses. But to make that connection, oh Allah Azza wa Jal said something here. This is what Alameen refers to, even though we don't really go to that level of depth. Um, we don't really go to that level of depth, and so therefore it's something which uh, you know it's something which which requires from us uh, a level of understanding. Another example of this is in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse fifty-one, when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says concerning Musa alayhi وَإِذْ وَعَدْنَا مُوسَى أَرْبَعِينَ لَيْلَةً when we gave to Musa alayhi the appointment that he should come for forty days. When when Musa went to meet his Lord, he went for forty days. But Allah didn't speak about it in detail. But the author says that if we were to go to the other verse, Allah tells us how the 40 days were made up. And he says, We gave to Musa an appointment of one month, 30 days. And then we added a further 10, thus making the appointment with his Lord for 40 days. And so he says that Allah gives uh, an example here of what is being referred to elsewhere. The um, the author Rahman Taala also one of the things that he does is he will come to a word and he will say in the Quran this word can mean multiple things. That's making tafsir of the Quran with the Quran also. So you have words that depending on their context can mean different things. They can mean different things depending on the context. And we've given examples for those of us. Uh, for those of you that followed us in Tafsir Jalalain and so on, I, we gave a number of examples of this, of how in the Quran, one word can be used with different meanings in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So an example of this from the Tafsir of the Shaykh uh, is the word Dalal, which means misguidance. He says that the, in the Quran, it's used in three different ways. Three different ways. The first way is that it means to be astray. Dalala or misguidance means to be astray, to be far away from the path of guidance. And that is, for example, found in the verse in Surah Baqarah, When Allah speaks about the Dalin in this verse, those people that are astray, it means that they're far away from the truth. They've taken a path other than the path that is the straight path. That's one meaning. The second meaning in the Arabic language, he says, that you'll find in the Quran, is that the word Dalal, which we often uh, translate as misguidance, means destruction. It means destruction. For example, Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Sajdah, verse 10, وَقَالُوا أَإِذَا ضَلَلْنَا فِي الْأَرْضِ أَإِنَّا لَفِي خَلْقٍ جَدِيدٍ That the disbelievers said that when we will no longer cease to exist upon the earth, will we then be created from anew? And so the word ضَلَلْنَا is used here, which usually means misguided. But obviously in this context, they're not referring to being misguided. They mean that we will cease to exist. So it means destruction or the end of or ceasing to remain. 
And the third meaning is when someone doesn't really truly understand misguidance in the sense that someone doesn't really understand something, like the way that misguidance is usually mentioned. Someone's misguided, you say, I mean, they don't really understand the issue. Not that they're far away, they may be a Muslim, but they just don't really understand the issue. They're misguided in this particular aspect. So when Allah says, for example, in Surah Al-Duha, describing the Prophet Sallallahu that he found you to be unaware and he guided you. Right? Because he didn't know, the Prophet didn't know before. Allah gave him revelation, what it meant to worship Allah and know Allah and so on and so forth. And so he was unaware. And so that is also from the meanings of the word dalala or dalal. And so this is one of the ways that the author Ta'ala, does tafsir. Sometimes, as we mentioned, he will uh, give tafsir of a verse, not just with one verse, but with numerous verses. This is something which you will find often in his tafsir. So we gave the example before, Rabbul Alameen. What is Alameen? Oh, in Surah Al-Sha'ara, in, in that story of Musa is explained. But sometimes what the author does, and it's, it's a number of times actually, is he will bring numerous verses that speak about the same topic and that give extra details. So for example, if you were to go to the verses that speak about riba, interest, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Yamhaqullahu riba, Allah will remove or He will take away the blessing out of riba, remove from it any good. He says in his tafsir, and this is explained in numerous verses in which Allah Azza wa Jal says, and then he goes on to mention a number of verses. And not just verses, by the way, that have the word riba in them. No. Some of those verses have the word riba in them. So, for example, when Allah Azza wa says, O you who believe, stay away from riba. If you are believers and if you don't do so, then Allah will declare and his messenger will declare war upon you. That's one example of a verse that he uses. But he uses other verses that speak about the general principle as to why riba was made haram. So, for example, Allah Azza wa says, قُلْ لَا يَسْتَوِي الْخَبِيثُ وَالطَّيِّبُ in Surah Al-Ma'idah, verse 100, say that that which is pure and that which is impure will never be equal, even if it amazes you the number, the, the amount of impurity or the quantity of impurity, meaning that a person who's making, who's involved in riba has a great deal of wealth that comes from their interest payments and that amazes them that they have so much money, but never will it be equal. What is pure and what is impure, even if what is impure amazes you in terms of its number and its quantity. And so he's not just speaking about the word riba, but the general principle of what is haram wealth and unlawful wealth and wealth that is blessed in Islam and so on. Um, the author Ta'ala sometimes will give tafsir by using the Arabic language as we said and by using other verses of the Quran. Or sometimes he, he gives uh, tafsir by using the Arabic language as we said. Um, for a word that has multiple meanings. And one of the things that he then does is when he gives that tafsir, he will actually tell you what he thinks is strongest. So whether it's, for example, um, whether it's, for example, uh, whether it's, for example, that he will say that I think this one is stronger than the other one, or whether it's, for example, that he will say that all of these meanings are correct, right? And as we often do in tafsir, for those of you that have attended tafsir now with me for a while, sometimes you say, look, all of these positions they're not actually contradictory, they're complementary. And all of them have their position. So for example, the author Ta'ala, in Surah Al-Hajj, verse 29, when he's speaking about uh, the rights of Hajj, Allah says, Let them make tawaf of the bait, the house, meaning the Kaaba, and Allah describes it as Al-Atiq. Atiq meaning ancient, right? old. 
That's one meaning, he says, Rahimullah Ta'ala. He says the other meaning of the word Atiq is that it is something which is saved. Atiq means free, that it's freed from oppression and oppressors. And that's why when Abraha came with his army of elephants, Allah saved it from his oppression. And the third meaning is Al-Karam, generosity, that it's a place of blessing and good and, and, and generosity. And he says, and all of these are correct. The Quran is Atiq, is old because it's the first house that was built for the worship of Allah Azza wa Jal. It is a place that is free from oppression. And that's why it's in the Haram, it's in the sanctuary. No oppression is allowed to be committed in there. And Allah will save it from oppressors also. And also it's a place of blessing. As we know, a place of generosity, a place where Allah's favors descend and his blessing subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he brings to you multiple meanings uh, of, the, of the same word and how all of them work in terms of, in terms of the tafsir of the Qur'an. Um, one of the things that he does also in his tafsir, which is nice, is he will, as I said, he will bring various verses that perhaps you didn't really think about when it comes to the tafsir of the Qur'an, and that's why this tafsir is amazing. If you're going to do tafsir, it should be one of the books that you definitely refer to. Um, you know, you can refer to numerous books that you would make your, your asal in tafsir. Uh, when I go through tafsir for QP, you know, by now you've probably figured this out because these are the names that I always mention. So it's not, it's not like uh, rocket science to know exactly where I go for my tafsir. But tafsir al-Tabari would be one of those uh, tafsir that I always go back to. Tafsir of Sheikh Muhammad al-Amin is one of those that I always go back to. Tafsir al-Qurtubi and Ibn Atiyah is one of those that I go back to. There are like three, four, five tafsirs that I focus on and then I add from here and there. So I sometimes refer to the tafsir of Shaykh al-Atimiyah, sometimes I will refer to As-Suyuti, sometimes I will refer, but there are four or five that I will make my foundation or my basis of tafsir. And that's because each one of them gives you something that the others don't have. And others I will refer to if in the verse, for example, there is a qira'ah or there's some language aspect like the tafsir of Abu Hayyan, that's a good tafsir for Someone wants to focus on Qira'at and Arabic and so on. And then there's other tafsir as well. But there are some that you just have to know because they give you a good grounding of what the verse means. And usually I go to those tafsirs where the authors aren't known to have any issues in terms of their aqidah and their belief and so on because you don't want to be taking tafsir and then you realize that actually the author made a mistake in his tafsir anyway. Start with the tafsir of the salaf and then build upon that. And then it's very easy for you to know if that doesn't sound right, maybe someone made a mistake there or he took from a different place and so on and so forth. So one of the things that the author Ta'ala, does is this. It's very nice the way he can he can bring these things together. For example, in Surah Al-Baqarah, again speaking about Bani Israel, when Allah Azzawajal says to them, You fulfill your covenant to me, I will fulfill my covenant to you, Allah says to them. The author says, Shaykh Muhammad Al-Amin, he says, but Allah doesn't tell us what is the covenant in that verse in Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 40. But he says elsewhere in the Quran, Allah tells us the many covenants that he took with them. So for example, in Surah Ma'idah, verse 12, Allah says that he said to them, لَإِنْ أَقَمْتُمُ الصَّلَاةِ وَآتِيْتُمُ الزَّكَاءِ وَآمَنْتُمْ بِرُسُلِي وَعَزَّرْتُمُوهُمْ وَقْرَضْتُمُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا Allah said, if you establish the prayer and give the zakah and believe in my messengers and assist and help them and give to Allah a goodly loan, meaning by giving charity in the way of Allah, then Allah will forgive you for your sins. So he tells you, what he asked from them and what Allah Azza would do for them in return. And that's nice. It's nice to read the tafsir of the Quran or to have a verse of the Quran being explained by another verse of the Quran. Like he's done the hard work for you, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. 
One of the things that he also does though is he reads into the verse things that maybe you wouldn't have read. So for example, he will say to you, like for example in Surah Al-A'raf verse 13 when Allah Azzawajal speaking to our father Adam alayhi salatu wassalam or rather sorry in the, in the story of Adam but speaking to Iblis when he says to Iblis فَهْبِطْ مِنْهَا فَمَا يَكُونُ لَكَ أَن تَتَكَبَّرَ فِيهَا فَخْرُجْ إِنَّكَ مِنَ الصَّاغِينِ When Allah expels Iblis from the heavens and he says leave it's not befitting for you to show arrogance in this place for you are from the lowly he says تَعَالَى, that we understand therefore from this verse the opposite is also true that the akhirah and the hereafter and Jannah are for who? for the people who show their humility and humbleness before Allah and they don't seek to be arrogant in this dunya so the people who are arrogant in this life Allah doesn't give them a portion of the hereafter as is mentioned in those hadith someone who has even a green's seed of arrogance in their heart will enter into Jannah and people who want to be uh, you know, humble before Allah in this world, show humility before Allah. Those are the people that Allah favors and honors. And then He mentions the verse in Surah Al-Qasas towards the end, verse 83: "Tilka al-dar al-akhirah najaluha lil-ladina la yuriduna uluwan fil ardi wa la fasada." That is the life of the hereafter. We will make it for those who seek no ulu. They don't seek any haughtiness or arrogance in this life, nor do they seek to cause any corruption in it. And so he brings these things that sometimes you don't think about, but he's because he's studied these different verses of the Quran and he's understood them, it's easy for him to make that connection and to say, look, this verse is showing to you that just as this is the statement of Allah concerning this type of creation, then the opposite is true also for the or this type of, of, of attribute, then the opposite is true also for the other type of attribute. One of the things that he also does, Rahimullah Ta'ala, is he, as we said, reconciles in his tafsir between things that seem on the face of it to be uh, somewhat difficult or somewhat speaking about the same thing but in different ways. So for example, the uh, statement which Allah Azza wa mentions uh, that, that the, the length of a day with your Lord is like a thousand years from that which you count. And then Allah Azza wa also speaks about the day with him being 50,000 years elsewhere in the Quran. So the author mentions the statement of Ibn Abbas. He mentions the different positions of how the scholars try to reconcile. And then he mentions the statement of Ibn Abbas anhuma, which is a good recon- a way of reconciling between these two. And he says that the length of a day with Allah, every day with Allah, is like a thousand years of our lifetime. A thousand years of the dunya equals one day with Allah And that is why it is mentioned in some narrations that the people of Jannah they will have to only stand on the Day of Judgment, which is a day that is 50,000 years. So that's how he explains the 50,000. The 50,000 refers to the length of the Day of Judgment, which will be exceptional. It will be different to every other day because of its length. So that is specific to that. Every day, usually with Allah, is like a 1,000 years. But that day, the Day of Judgment, will be made 50,000 years because of Allah reckon or, or judging between the people. He then mentions the narration that is mentioned that how the believers there their accounting will be done in half a day. Half a day, as is mentioned by a number of the scholars, meaning 500 years. And that's where they take that number 500 years from. It's based on this verse, that a day is a thousand, so half a day would be 500 years. And so this is something which he often does in his tafsir. And it's nice because sometimes you're reading these verses, and I'm sure those of you that have come across these verses before have probably asked that question, why the thousand here and 50,000 here? 
he will actually bring to you the statements of the scholars and so on, and he will give to you what he considers to be uh, the best or one of the best in terms of reconciling between them. As we said before, this doesn't mean his focus on the Quran and the different ways of understanding the Quran and using the Quran to explain the Quran doesn't mean that he doesn't focus on the Sunnah, the positions of the companions and so on. So he mentions the Sunnah. Many hadith are mentioned in his book. So for example, when Allah Azza wa speaks about the things that are haram to eat, he mentions that hadith in that regard. And what the Prophet said about the different things that you can eat and can't eat. Because not all of those, uh, not all of those rulings are mentioned in the Quran. A number of them are mentioned in the Sunnah. So he will bring them. He will bring also the position of the scholars of tafsir from the companions and the tabi'een and others. So for example, when Allah Azza wa says, وَمَنْ جَاءَ بِالسَّيِّئَةِ فَكُبَّتْ وَجُهُمْ فِي النَّارِ Whoever commits a sayyah, an evil deed, will be thrown into the fire. He says the understanding of this verse, if you look at the statements of the companions, isn't that it is any evil deed, because people misunderstand this, right? Some people say, oh, it means a major sin. If you commit a major sin, you go into the fire. No, that's not the meaning of the verse. The as-sayyah here, that is being referred to as is mentioned, and then he mentions all of the companions who said this. Ibn Mas'ud, Ibn Abbas, Abu Huraira, Anas. And from the scholars of the Tabi'een, Ata' and Sa'id ibn Jubair and Ikrimah and Mujahid and Ibrahim al-Nakha'i and Muhammad ibn Ka'ab and Zayd ibn Aslam and Al-Zuhri and Al-Hassan and Qatada and Ibn Zayd and others, they said that the Sayyidah here is shirk. Just as when Allah says, and whoever does a Hasana will have the greatest reward. The Hasana there being the Tawheed of Allah And so yes, the word Hasan and Sayyidah means good deed and bad deed, but sometimes the context is the good deed. The bad deed, meaning the best of deeds or the worst of deeds, meaning tawheed and shirk. And this is something which you will, which you will find also. One of the ways that the, the, the author Ta'ala makes his tafsir when he comes across these positions of the scholars, what he tries to do is when there's a difference amongst the scholars of tafsir, he will reconcile. And he often tries to reconcile and he often does reconcile between them. As we said, often you can reconcile between the positions of the classical scholars because they're speaking by way of example as opposed to contradiction. However, sometimes it's difficult to do so. Um, and so an example of this, and, and in that case, the author will, will make a judgment to the best of his ability. Uh, for example, the verse in, in uh, Surah Al-Ma'idah about the two sons of Adam, relate to them the story of the two children of Adam. The position of the majority of the scholars of Tafsir, as we know, is that this refers to his two direct sons. When Allah says the two sons of Adam, meaning his actual sons, his direct sons, uh, Cain and Abel, or Habil and Qabil. However, some of the Salaf, like Al-Hasan al-Basri, said, no, it refers to two sons of Adam, meaning two humans. And these two were actually men from Bani Israel. The author mentions the statement of Al-Hasan al-Basri, and he says, and that is a weak position. Because if you read the, the verses of the Quran, Allah Azza wa mentions that when he murdered his brother, Allah sent to him a crow that showed him how to bury his brother because he didn't know how to bury him, didn't know what to do. It's the first time murder has been committed, first time death has happened upon earth. What do you do with this body? He says that no doubt Bani Israel would know what to do with their dead. They don't need a crow to come and show them. People have been living for hundreds if not thousands of years before Bani Israel and people of Bani Israel have been burying their dead for generations and generations. And so therefore he says that the context of the verses shows that this isn't just someone from any ummah or any nation, but as is the position of the majority, that it is the two actual sons of Adam salam. That's just an example. I'm going to like go very quickly through the rest of this because um, you know we don't have much time. But I just wanted to give you different snippets of the way he makes tafsir. 
just so that you can appreciate this. Um, he uses qira'at, as we say, as we said, rather. Uh, for example, in the verse in Surah Al-Isra, verse 106, in which Allah Azza speaks about the revelation of the Qur'an, he says, وَقُرْآنًا فَرَقْنَاهُ لِتَقْرَأَهُ عَلَى النَّاسِ عَلَى مُكْثِ He says that the Qur'an was revealed so that you may read in stages that you may read it to people in a calm, collected way. This verse is recited in two ways. وَقُرْآنًا فَرَقْنَاهُ and وَقُرْآنًا فَرَّقْنَاهُ With the shadda and the ra فَرَّقْنَاهُ and without a shadda فَرَقْنَاهُ He says that when you read it without the shadda, the way we normally read it, وَقُرْآنًا فَرَقْنَاهُ It means that we have revealed this Qur'an to explain it to you, to make it clear to you, so that you may distinguish between truth and falsehood. But when you say فَرَّقْنَاهُ with the shadda, it means that we revealed it over stages, meaning over the 23-year-odd span of the prophethood of Allah's Messenger So this is another way he will make tafsir. And both of those meanings obviously are correct, both are Qur'an. So both of those meanings are correct. Allah explained the Qur'an, and one of the ways that the Qur'an was explained because it was dispersed, so the people had time, the companions had time to read and to memorize and to understand and to learn and to act and apply upon his teachings. Um, the author, as we said, speaks about many issues of fiqh in his tafsir. Every time there's an issue of fiqh, he will go into great detail. So for example, and I'm not going to go into this in detail, but just by way of example, if you want to refer back to his tafsir at the beginning of Surah Ma'idah, verse 5 or 6, the very beginning when Allah speaks about wudu and tayammum, uh, wudu and tayammum. In that verse, the author goes into a number of issues of fiqh, of, of, of what is... Uh, you know what, the different issues regarding wudu and mas'al al-khuffain, wiping over the socks and so on, and how long is the position, or how long can you make? Uh, you know what is the time limit of making uh, wiping over the socks? For example, if you're a resident or if you're a traveller, and if you're a traveller, is there a time limit or not a time limit, and so on. And so on. this is something which goes into great detail, and it mentions the different madhabs and the different positions. So sometimes it's one issue, and he goes through a number of these issues. So this is one verse, and he like goes on for like three, four, five pages, number of Masail, a number of rulings that can be uh, extracted from that one verse of the Quran. He speaks about aqidah issues and the issues and, and the aqidah of the salaf and what they believed in. So, for example, when Allah speaks about, uh, speaks about uh, the believers seeing him on the day of judgment, he goes into detail because, as we know, there are people who refuse to accept this. They said, No, the believers won't see Allah on the day of judgment, he can't be seen. And so, he goes into detail about how the verse of the Quran explicitly say that he can be seen and how the Prophet mentioned this clearly in the Sunnah. So he speaks about aqidah issues and issues of belief and theology. The last thing that I wanted to touch upon before we conclude today as a final example that something which the Sheikh often does and as we've mentioned before is language. He was an expert in Arabic language, in, in its poetry, in its literature, in its grammar, in its morphology, in its eloquence and this is something which you will see clearly in his tafsir. And I haven't given examples of poetry because the poetry, to be frank, would, wouldn't make sense whether once I've translated it, it wouldn't, wouldn't really have any meaning. Um, and to be honest, I'm not really a poet or an expert in Arabic poetry either, but it's something that you will find throughout his, his tafsir. And even in his uh, lessons, if you listen to his tafsir, he had memorized all of this poetry. It's not like he's going there with books and he's having to find it. He's memorized this stuff. Even in his tafsir, which he used to do without any, uh, any, any notes, he's actually there just giving you poetry in his lessons. Um, and so this is something which is, which is, which is amazing. Uh, let me give you an example of this, though, how he uses the Arabic language. 
um, in Surah Al-Imran in verse 7, when Allah Azza wa Jal speaks about the verses of the Quran are clear, and there are verses of the Quran that are ambiguous, and how the people of, who have diseases in their heart will always follow the ambiguous, because they don't want to follow what is clear. But the people of knowledge know how to explain these verses. And Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ And the people who are rasikh, who are firm in their knowledge, while versed in their knowledge, will say we believe in it. At the beginning when Allah says, and the people of knowledge, this well, the and, what does it refer to here? The author says that in the Arabic language, because the scholars differed, right, the scholars differed as to uh, whether these people, or well, the people of knowledge, know the meaning of the ambiguous verses, or whether they don't know the meaning of the ambiguous verses, and they leave it to Allah, and they say we believe in it all, but this is knowledge that Allah didn't give to us. He says, and these are two famous positions amongst the scholars of tafsir, both of them have their position in tafsir as we've said uh, before. He says, and this all comes down to the letter waw and its position in the Arabic language. If the waw is the beginning of a new sentence, then it means that these people don't know the meaning. And the people of ilm, the knowledge, people of knowledge, don't let it become a fitna for them, these verses, but they say, we believe in Allah. So for example, uh, the, 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 the attributes of Allah Azza wa Jal, what does it actually mean? How do you actually understand them? What is this actual description? We don't know. Allah didn't give us that knowledge. It's enough for us just to know that Allah said, for example, that he has hands. That's enough for us to know. We don't need to go into any more detail. We believe in all of it. All of it came from our Lord. Or the wow here isn't the beginning of a new sentence, but it is to continue the previous sentence. In Arabic, it is called atf, to continue the previous sentence. And, and, and as you say, part of the same sentence just builds upon what is before. And upon that position of the Arabic language, then those scholars do know the meaning. Allah Azza has told them the meaning, meaning that they know, for example, that when Allah says hand, it means hand. We just don't know the full uh, reality of that hand because that is knowledge that Allah hasn't given, but we know what it means. And that's why both of those positions of tafsir are valid in their own way, uh, depending on what aspect of it you are referring to. But that just shows you an example of how the Arabic language can change tafsir, and that's something which he focuses on Rahimullah Ta'ala. And not only that, but eloquence as well. So for example, in Surah Taha, verse 119, when Allah Azza wa says, When Allah sends Adam into Jannah at the beginning, and He says, this is a place where you will never experience thirst, nor will you experience sun, meaning you'll never be burnt by the sun. There's always shade and coolness in Jannah. The author, Shah Muhammad Al-Amin, says, Rahimullah Ta'ala, this shows that in Jannah, Allah will save people from external difficulties and internal difficulties. Because Allah says you won't experience thirst. That's an internal issue. Hunger, thirst, tiredness. These are internal issues that you deal with in Jannah. All of those deficiencies will be removed from you. Nor will the sun burn you. And that's an external issue. Right? The cold, the heat, these are external things that affect you. And Allah also negates this. And so he says this is from the eloquence of the Arabic language. That Allah could have said, that in Jannah you can eat and you can drink and you can do this. But he didn't say. He just said you won't have to worry about internal issues, problems, no external problems. And Allah Azza does so in an amazing, eloquent way. So these are just some examples um, that the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, uh, Rahimahullah Ta'ala uh, mentioned in his tafsir, just some examples of his methodology and the way he makes tafsir. And it is an amazing book. May Allah Azza wa shower his mercy upon the author and bless him for what he did and reward him greatly for the service that he did for this ummah. 
and I just wanted to give this brief synopsis of his life and his tafsir because it is an amazing work that every student of tafsir should be familiar with. But with that, inshallah ta'ala, we come to the end of today's lesson and next week, inshallah, we'll uh, start with tafsir of Surah Al-Buruj, which is where we left off, inshallah ta'ala. Um, someone's asking the question, the Quran was revealed over 23 years, so how can scholars read it once or twice in one night? How does it justify the correct recitation if it was read with such speed? So we have different speeds of reading the Quran, right? Uh, that are mentioned in the different narrations. From them is, is a speed that is known like in Taraweeh when people read in what we call Al-Hadar. Hadar is when you read very fast. Um, and someone who is well versed in the Quran and is proficient in the reading of the Quran can read with the rules of Tajweed and they can read in, in enough speed that they can finish the Quran. So for example, someone can read a juz of the Quran who is very well proficient in 15 odd minutes, 15 to 20 minutes. And when the lights are long, to read 15 minutes and you do 30 juz, if you like do the multiplication, the time, it takes seven, eight hours. And this is something, by the way, isn't just old, even now. Uh, I know someone who, who said uh, that they met someone, like this person I know, and I, I trust him, he's a person of knowledge and so on. He said he met someone who does this, he's done this. and he So he said to him, I want to come and I want to, um, and I want to pray with you. And I'll finish with this story, I know we've gone over time. He said, I want to pray with you. Oh, I just want to watch you pray because I've never seen him. I've heard the stories, but I've never seen it being done. He said, no problem. He said, I will come to you after Salatul Isha, after like half an hour after Isha. Half an hour after Isha, I will come. And all I want for you to do is have qahwa, you know, the Arabic coffee that they have and some dates ready for me. He said, he came to my house and he came and he drank like, you know, the, the small little cups they give coffee. He said, he knocked back, I don't know how many, like a good few. And then he started praying. And I could hear him read, 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 read. And he's reading and reading and reading. And he finished the whole Quran in that night. He said just before Fajr, like 15, 20 minutes before the Adhan of Fajr. And the night's like eight, nine hours. And so he finished it, he said. And these are narrations that we find in the books of the scholars. Like it's not something which is made up. You will find, for example, Uthman radiallahu anh, the, the scholar, the tabi'i said that I came to the haram to read, uh, meaning in Mecca, I came to read the night prayer. And I saw a man come with his head covered. So I looked and I saw that it was Uthman, didn't want to be recognized. So he said, so I moved back so he could pray. I, I wouldn't disturb him because I know he doesn't want to be recognized. He said, he said, Allahu Akbar, and he began to read and read and read and read. He said he read and read without making record. Read and read and read. Every time he came to a sajda of the Quran, he would make sajda and come back. And that's why in one narration he said, all he did was sajda, 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 meaning he's doing all of the sajdas of tilawa, of the recitation, but he's not making record. And then he said, as I could see that Fajr is about to come in, it's like 15, 20 minutes left for Fajr, he finished and he mentioned to Ruku and he made his tasneem. And so there are numerous narrations of this. Imam Shafi'i, two of his students narrated this from him. Like numerous narrations, it's not just like a one-off thing. And so someone who's known for this and is proficient for this, our problem is, unfortunately, all of us, that we read the Quran very sparingly. And so we haven't built up that stamina even to do it, let alone have the proficiency to do so. But there are people that do this because this is how Allah has blessed them. They have the stamina for ibadah, for worship, for reading, for memorization of the Quran, for this recitation. And Allah has blessed them with this. And these are the people of the Quran, the people that Allah has blessed that are the people of the Quran. But anyway, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to conclude for today. Barakallahu feekum. And inshallah, I will see you all next week. Wassalamu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.